Welcome to the Didicate Podcast. My name's Sam Falls, and in these conversations, I'm talking with church leaders, planters, and members from around the country to discuss Jesus, church, church planting, all with the hope of having our vision of Jesus and his church enlarged. I'm here today with Sam Anderson from Oldham Bethel Church to discuss ministry to and alongside Iranians. Sam, great to have you on here. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we did we did meet up actually uh, a while yeah. ago last year uh, for a coffee, actually face to face. And I love that chat. And one of the things I appreciated about that conversation was just how much resonated between uh, mm. our, our two churches and kind of the ministry we're trying to do. And, uh, and in particular, this this heart really to welcome disciples, serve and indeed be served by Iranians uh, as part of mm. a diverse, integrated church family. We're gonna mm. we're gonna talk about that a little bit later. But first, tell us tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm Sam. I grew up in uh, East London. That's where I spent um, childhood and like teen years. Um, I'm married to Alice. Uh, we've got two kids, uh, Luca and Leo. They're um, two and three months. Um, we we studied together. Oak Hill in London Bible College uh, before coming to Oldham um, and that was where kind of the Lord helped us to think through where we should be and then kind of starting out in ministry and yeah he called us to, to Oldham to, to serve at Oldham Bethel Church where I'm a gospel worker um, I do quite a range of things within that um, it's essentially you know a lot of the stuff that a kind of assistant pastor would do um, but not as an elder, I'm a deacon in the church. Um, and uh, yeah, a whole range of things like uh, discipling and evangelizing um, kind of Iranians, but also uh, local Pakistani, Bangladeshi Muslims, um, folks in the town center, who will be from a wide range of backgrounds, doing community activities. We've got a football project for asylum seekers, uh, help out at English classes, which also have quite an evangelistic focus. Um, so, a whole bunch of stuff uh, in church and kind of outside of church reaching out. Fantastic. We'll pick up on a few of those things a little bit later, I think. But yeah, tell us a bit as well about Oldham Bethel Church. How did that all begin? Yeah, it's a, it's a small um, FIEC church. Uh, so it's an independent Baptist church. Um, it's, it's got quite a history. It's been there for ages, um, even when... Um, They've had like a redevelopment of the area and things. Um, you know, they were able to, to rebuild the building. So it's been in that site of Glodic for a good while, um, for a long time. And, and actually what's happened is the church has been there, but the surrounding area has changed rapidly. So Glodic is a, quite a, a poor and deprived part of Oldham. And initially it would have been, uh, there would have been more West Indians actually who've come in to work on maybe the buses and things like that, uh, immigrating and stuff. Um, and now it's rapidly changed. It's quite South Asian, uh, predominantly Pakistani, but also significant uh, Bangladeshi population. Uh, and now it's like, it's, it's gone on. So it's now like probably 95% that demographic. So it's kind of, it's changed a lot. Like before we even had like a, um, a West Indian kind of social club and there's like a community center. So the community has changed rapidly. Um, I think ch the church did have a lot of West Indians and now less so because that, that generation has kind of moved on and, you know, starting to, to die out, basically, through old age and things. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
a mix of people, I'd say. It's a fairly diverse church, mix of people, mix of backgrounds. Um, and our current pastor, Steve, been there for about for about eight years. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, before it's got quite a charismatic history. So the church was actually a plant from uh, a tent preaching mission. Um, so a couple of like guys from a charismatic background, they went around England um, preaching and, uh, and evangelizing in tent mission. And, and you'll see um, there's quite a few churches actually in the UK called something Bethel Church, right? Because it's part of this, uh, this evangelistic uh, mission. Uh, and they're not they're not connected they're not related in any way to the one the big one in the states and they're not interconnected we don't have any relationship with the other Bethel churches but it was their conviction at the time that you know they they uh, they plant an independent church from the people that saved on their mission so anyways it's, it's for a long time it's been a charismatic church actually and uh, it's only been in recent years uh that it's kind of become yeah ref a reformed baptist church i'd say uh and and people seem happy with that and that's kind of where we're at and um that's a kind of main makeup of the church i think in terms of theological beliefs and convictions and things mm. well sam look we both work for the church uh, we're seeking to build our lives on jesus and around around church i'm sure this question i'm going to ask you now is uh one you've given some thought to and it's the, the question i like to ask everyone who uh comes on these these conversations episodes what is church and in particular what what's some of the, the teaching of the bible and the imagery of the bible around church that kind of particularly captivates you and shapes your vision for ministry what is church? yeah so i'd say yeah so i'd say as a definition i'd say it's the the gathered people of god um a family it's a, a really important image in the scriptures a family of believers who are uh, committed and accountable to to one another who um, who teach and preach the Bible faithfully, who baptize new believers, who celebrate the Lord's Supper together and help one another, spur one another on to uh, lives of worship and to proclaim the gospel in their local communities, in different places that they find themselves. I think that's, that's broadly how I'd see the kind of definition and, and what we do. And then in terms of images, yeah, I spoke about family. I think that's a really important one. Um, obviously, the scriptures talk about a body as well. I think there's there's such strong images of interconnectedness, of um, of reliability, of accountability, you know, um, that are really important for us. I think uh, living in an individualistic society that wants to make religion our own uh, individual pursuit, almost like we do with hobbies, right? Mm. Uh, I. I join my football team if I want to join a football team. And if I don't like it, I just leave it. No big deal. No one says anything about it. But actually, these images in scripture are corporate images. They're communal, community images. Um, and I think, you know, we'll get onto this probably, that our Iranian brothers and sisters get that way more than we do because they come from a culture where actually that's already the norm, the community and the, the corporateness. And sometimes that shines a blind spot, I think, on the way that we do Christianity and we try to live out our faith. And that's why I think it's important that we're integrated. And again, we could talk more about that. It's because in the diversity of the church, if you have different voices, it then means that your blind spots are being covered by someone else. Uh, and when you have a monocultural church, you don't have that. The Bible is not a cultural, you know, our lives are not a cultural. We will have blind spots wherever we are and we need each other to be like hey this was my insight not just application but you know like 
insight into the understanding of the scriptures into exegesis. Sometimes I'm blind to things and then I need someone from a different background, a different cultural background to be like, hey, I saw this. And then you go back to the scriptures. Well, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? And yeah, so I'd say a diverse body of believers, those strong images of family and body, I think have been uh, particularly on my mind, I guess, uh, in the last two years and a bit that I've been working for Bethel. That's glorious. I really, really love that. And all those things you're talking about, family and community, this in, interconnectedness, this diversity, all, of course, reflects this, this living God who is Father, Son and Spirit that we worship. That's glorious. And yeah, particularly that word family, again, we'll probably come on to this later, but we found that to be a really important uh, image um, truth for us as a, as a church. Um, and particularly with our, like, like you say, with our Iranians who... Uh, come over and as you said um you know have, have a lot more experience really of that kind of corporate nature of life and, and community and family but also there's another edge to that another angle to that where it's like so many of them have lost their own kind of earthly families and then they come mm-hmm. here and just what you know they I've had so many conversations where where Iranians will say to me you know I've lost my family but now you are my family church is my family that's been so encouraging and challenging Mm. listen let's talk a little bit about how that obviously that that vision of church what how does that play out uh for you uh, in particular at uh, bethel olden uh church yeah i think just getting onto the interconnectedness is that um now historically we haven't always uh gone with the internet interconnected church in terms of reaching people who speak a different language and are from a different culture i think language tends to be the the crux of the issue like so we've had in the past um even when we've had simultaneous translation in in main services we've had kind of separate bible studies uh i think separate community groups sorry and what we found with us is that um when we separated things things it started to become a kind of take on a life of its own uh that our reigning brothers and sisters weren't spending as much time english speaking brothers and sisters and um you know those kind of things if we run if you take that and you run with that that bible study could then develop into a church and it's never our goal to have a separate iranian church especially in the pakistani bangladeshi area and a a british area we want to be all together but we see that as god's plan we see that as both the right way to do it and there are many benefits from (laughs) what we what, following what we believe is the right way to to do and, and to go about church um so yeah we've we've no longer got like a separate thing where we say only uh farsi speakers go to this of course on, in our church you know we've got a number of people from places other than iran that speak farsi um so how that's kind of worked out is that actually there will be some things where actually predominantly um farsi speakers attend but um, it's left open because we want to be ready to disciple and train other people all together with them. So we've started um, going through the New City Catechism uh, on a Wednesday night. Um, and I lead that and that's been really good. And predominantly, it's, it's just been Farsi speakers, right? Um, now, I'm not going to stop that because it's only Farsi speakers coming. It's brilliant. They could do that. But I've, I'm leading it. So British guy. And then there's another British guy who sometimes helps out with translation because uh, you can speak Turkish um, and it's open you know if someone's going to turn up in the church and they're available on that night 
we're going to encourage them to come along so they can be discipled along with these other brothers and sisters. So we see that as, as something really helpful because it takes a long time to, to learn a different culture and to, um, to be able to interact well and to know people well so that we can love them well. And if we, if we uh, divide, off, divide up things a bit too much, then people don't spend enough time with each other to have meaningful relationships, right? And then, and then you just get you know, all the young people hanging out together, all the Farsi speakers hanging out together, all the retired age people hanging out together because that's what we gravitate to, right? People who are like us. And that, there's a, that's good and that's a place, a place for that. But we're just, we've tried to be mindful basically about how we set up different groups so that we can encourage integration um, because that works towards what we see as our, as our goal of being an integrated, diverse community of believers. Mm. Awesome. I, I love all that. <clears throat> just help us to understand though, like why, why push for integration? Like mm. again, in the scriptures, what do you see there that encourages that? Um, because, you know, there's all sorts of temptations actually to say, well, no, let's, let's go tribal uh, let, or, or, or let's, you know, plant an Iranian church. Um, and you think about some of the challenges to integration and we face this as well, like language, you've already alluded to that. Um, you know, uh, many of us Brits <laughs> don't speak Farsi. I mean, certainly I don't speak Farsi. Um, and you know language is so important and, and central to relationship and um, so there are lots of challenges and of course loads of joys as well and we can touch on that but why do you push for integration and interconnectedness yeah I think it comes from that that end goal and that end vision from revelation you know that picture of um, God's people um, of every nation tongue and language worshipping the triune God together um, it's a beautiful picture and obviously we can't fully recreate it, but if that is our end goal, then it makes sense that we need to get with a program, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's gonna be weird if, we, if <laughs> I only ever hanging out with people who are exactly like me and every community, even if it's completely British, there's gonna be diversity within that, right? Um, if I only hang out with people like me, then it's gonna be a bit weird <laughs> when I get to the new creation. Um, not that that's the main problem, but you know, if that is the goal, that our Lord is, is kind of saying, look, I'm saving a diverse people from every tribe and nation and tongue. Well, I want to, I want to work along with that. Right. I want to be in step with the spirit or the spirit is doing in saving people and discipling people from every nation and tongue and language. And if I'm in a community, I see it as my responsibility uh, to be open to that, you know, and to be mindful that you know, in Oldham now, they, there's, we just take British people, you know, there's working classes, middle classes, this is the diversity of people there. And, and God wants me to reach them all. He doesn't want me to just to reach like some, because sometimes we might convince ourselves that that's, there's a better way of just reaching people like us. And there's lots of practical reasons why there are short-term gains and it's easier. But what happens in terms of the end goal, the end goal then happens is that we don't reach massive swathes of people because <laughs> whatever the church's predominant uh, cultural makeup is, we're just going to reach them, right? And there's a whole bunch of people that the Lord is calling us to go out and preach the gospel to and baptize and disciple <laughs> that we're, not, we're just not going to reach. It's been said loads of times, the UK church, conservative evangelical churches of that we find ourselves in, predominantly middle class. If we just follow a model of just reaching people like us, we're not going to reach 
a massive amount of people. And I think that's, that's a real big problem because uh, God is calling us to reach everyone. And the more we stick to what's easier and pragmatic, um, I think that encourages ethnocentrism. So even our churches will be unhealthy in themselves because they'll be ethnocentric. But it also means that we are, we're not stepping up to the plate, you know? The, the, the Lord has sent us out to, to evangelize that the, the fields are ripe for harvest. There's, there's Muslims right now that the Lord's going to save. And because we want to do what's easiest, because we want to, to do what seems to work well and what's less hard, we're going to miss out on the joy of being part of that harvest. We're going to miss out on, on reaching people that the Lord's calling us to reach. So I really see it as necessary. You know, the end goal is that the church is going to be a diverse people group. And in some small way, I believe the local church should reflect that, you know, whatever your community makeup is, it should reflect that in some small way and should be working towards a more fuller uh, picture of that. Amen to that. Amen to that. And I love that thought, you know, pursuing what's easiest is missing out on joy. So true. Mm. And I just want to pick up on that and one of the challenges we alluded to earlier about communication and language, because obviously as Christians, we're passionate about words. Um, mm. I mean, you're a spoken word artist uh, and rapper, and, uh, you know, we both preach uh, and teach the, mm. the scriptures. And we believe that we that, like the world was built with words, God's word spoken, mm. and words build, words create, lives are changed through word. And obviously relationships grow through words spoken. Our relationship between with God is 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 about words I mean so much more but mm. obviously prayer we use our words to communicate to him and he speaks to us through his word the scriptures and and praise God that there have been people in the past who've translated uh, God's word into a language that we can understand but perhaps that some people might kind of look at this whole thing we're discussing and say look that's you know it's it's too big of a challenge you know, having this group of people together who don't speak the same language, or maybe, as you've said, we both, we're both part of churches where actually more than two languages are spoken. Uh, and obviously there's some people who, in our church, who, who, don't, who speak very, very little English. Have you addressed that challenge? And, and, and I'll just say this, like, I think the Lord takes that challenge seriously, because like the Great Commission, Jesus calls his, his disciples and says, I want you to go out to, to all the nations and make disciples. And you get Pentecost, don't you? It's like, it's like, what's the big problem with that? It's like, we don't speak all these languages. And then you get Pentecost and it's like, don't worry about that. I'll give you this gift so that you can speak in a way where people can understand what you're saying in all sorts of different languages. So I think the Lord kind of understands that that was a challenge, but he deals with it. How how's he dealt with it in your in your church, or de- how is he dealing with it in your church family? Yeah, I think um, I think the challenge. Just first, I want to say, yeah, that is a, there is a real challenge there, and I think it's very easy to look at other churches. Even now, I do this. I look at another church. I think, oh, they've got three or four translators, and you know, <laughs> they're doing this and that, right? Um, it is really hard, yeah. really hard to do multicultural, diverse church, multi ethnic church, right? Uh, and especially if you're working across languages, even if it was the same language, it would still be tough. And now you've got different languages, that's tough, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be honest about that. Yep. But we believe it's worth um, the hard work. Mm-hmm. And I think we just need to have a long-term view in mind. So when I'm thinking about, you know, 
people who've joined Bethel Church and they're speaking a different language, um, it, it, it's most likely when church is in that position, it's not just going to get two people and then it's going to stop, right? There's a reason why Bethel and churches like yours get a regular amount of people. It's the way the asylum housing system is set up. There's just going to be a lot of people in our particular areas. So that means, you know, it's not a rush. We've got a lot of time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's about working towards a long-term plan of, okay, if we're going to get um, a small number of people over the next 10 years, right, how can we move along? We don't have a translator now, okay, but what can we offer? What can we do to help people engage with, with what's going on? So at Bethel, I think it started uh, between 10 and 15 years ago, just had one Iranian guy just walk in, walk in the door. Oh, that's great, yeah. Um, no, why are you here? Like, what's <laughs> We've never had someone before. And then, you know, the church has learned over time about the practical reasons why in terms of the housing and things. And as people have stayed, we've been we've had people been able to translate, um, and we've tried to accommodate, you know, and tried to help people engage and give them a, a warm welcome. So now we're at a point where we have simultaneous translation of services um, and sermons, um, and and sometimes you know translators move on and they get moved to another part of the country, you get a new one, and, and some translators are better than others, and you just have to roll with that, you know, you have to to work with who the Lord's given you. And be thankful that we can even we can even do that. Um, just recently, um, a couple from who from missionaries in Turkey have joined us, and turns out that uh, quite a few guys can also speak Turkish. Not all of them, but it's meant that's really been really helpful for discipleship and things. So we've kind of got an extra translator now, and so in small group settings, um, sometimes we'll use simultaneous translation. Sometimes the guys will actually just want to engage in the English. And then ask a question um, and have it clarified um, after if there's a if there's a bit they, they don't understand. Yeah, that's really really helpful. Thanks so much for sharing that. And you you said earlier, I mean, there's a you, there's a wide variety of things that you do in your role. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things you talked about was discipleship of Iranians. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that and what that looks like for you? Because of course, some of these guys not only coming from a different country but a different religion. And um, what is it to kind of uh, to, to disciple them in the way of the way of Christ? It's such a I think it's such a privilege and a, and a kind of unique situation because um, what we found is that people come and they're already professing Christ or they're like really strongly. I'm reading the Bible already. I want to know more. T- tell me. Right. And when we compare that to other people groups, it's just mind blowing. It's such a it's such an amazing opportunity. Um, you know, with a British person, I'd never get that, you know, maybe after some time of talking to them, but literally people are asking me, they're just, re- they just want to read the Bible, like, that's, that's amazing. So it's quite easy, practically, because you've got people that already are professing Christ or um, wanting to find out more. And then, and then it's quite easy for me to meet up with them one-to-one or uh, for them to come along to things like our, our catechism on a Wednesday night. Um, and there, the, there's, and community groups as well. It's kind of multiple opportunities, really, for, um, for people to ask questions, to engage with the word in different contexts where they can ask questions and not feel stupid. Um, because it's really like, even if they are professing Christ, there's, there's a lot of basics they haven't gone through. Uh, and so we try a mixture of you know, meeting with people one-to-one and um, getting people involved in different settings, different groups where 
they can uh, engage with the word, they can ask questions, they can, they can grow in their understanding of the gospel and of doctrine, so they can get their heads around what is this that I'm getting into, <laughs> um, and helping them um, to work that through. Uh, it is a challenge, I think, working out where people are at sometimes, because um, people are so positive and they want to follow Christ, but sometimes it's hard to know what they don't know. Um, uh, we found that. And um, I guess as you do it, you kind of learn to, to work out ways where um, they can tell you what, what they know rather than just it's quite easy to copy what someone else has told you without someone understanding it. So we, we found that that's been a challenge. Um, and yeah, we just tried to give people opportunities to put in their own words, um, even in, in Farsi or in English, you know, translator there, what their understanding is, so that we can we can work out kind of where they're at and and what they need to know. Because I think the majority of stuff that I've been involved in in terms of discipleship, um, whether they're a Christian or not, has been in doctrine. Like they've heard a bit about Jesus, they think he's great, but they don't they, they couldn't tell you what sin is and and what Jesus has done on the cross for them, but they're like, yeah, I, I want to find out more. I, I, I want, I, I think Jesus is great. Let's tell me more. <laughs> and and it's and it's been a privilege to just to sit down with people and to just share the gospel again and again. And uh, it's been really refreshing with me actually mm-hmm. to do that because as you speak the gospel to someone, they're not just the ones being blessed. I'm being massively blessed just by being reminded of God's grace to me in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I've just really enjoyed that process, really, of discipling other believers and getting alongside them. So they have that space to ask questions and you can input exactly what they need. Do you know what I mean? In particular areas where their their knowledge is not so good or haven't quite understood something yet. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, you talked there about uh, um, uh, discipling these guys in terms of belief and obviously following Jesus is entering into this whole new way of thinking this whole new way of seeing the world uh, with him at the centre. And uh, obviously as well, discipleship is about entering into this whole new way of living as well. And talk to us a little bit about that, maybe some of the, the kind of the habits and the practices uh, that you've been work, you know, working through with these guys. Yeah, I think in terms of, in terms of how we live, um, it's been really helpful to, to look at Jesus's life and, and how he lives as, as our example and um, there's there's definitely particular areas that are more pressure points for for different cultures and uh, we found yeah conflict can be a tricky one um, because um, because of the way that other cultures would do conflict you know they if they're in direct culture they'd want to avoid it um, they'd probably want to deal with it in a way that um, can be perceived could be perceived as gossip um, sometimes it definitely is I think sometimes maybe not so much um but wanting to help people and to to go back to the scriptures and see look this is how jesus taught us to deal with conflict right we're we're brothers and sisters in christ we're gonna annoy each other we're not perfect yet um again another doctrine that's so important you're not sinless mate (laughs) you know uh it's gonna happen you know one day we will be perfected we'll be given new bodies but look we're gonna annoy each other and when that happens all of us tend to default to our cultural default of how we deal with conflict. But here's what Jesus said. Let, let's, let's discuss this and work this through. I had a really good conversation, um, our catechism group, um, about that. And we were trying to work through 
what does it mean to, to deal with conflict as an indirect mm. person? Mm. I'm quite indirect as a British guy. Mm. Um, but then uh, Iranian guys would be even more so. Well, these guys were not Iranian, but they're Farsi speakers. So even more so for them. Um, and, and how do we do that? We want to be truthful uh, and we don't want to upset people. Um, so how does that work out? It was a really good discussion. <laughs> we had lots of laughs. There was a story about um, someone rings you up and ask if your dad is in. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the boy says to his dad, dad, are you in? <laughs> he says, no. He says, sorry, my dad's not in. <laughs> and there was, a, there was a funny discussion around that and kind of, if you were the boy, what would you say? Um, yeah, I love those kind of discussions. You yeah. know, kind of a funny illustration from a different culture. And um, we chatted about that. It was really helpful. Um, I think the temptation would be to say, this is how I deal with conflict as a British guy. Mm-hmm do likewise but we were trying to say go back to the scriptures what does jesus teach about dealing with conflict what is the principle there how does that live out for you as an iranian guy as an afghan guy as a Kurdi guy what does that look like mm-hmm. um and um sometimes we don't come to a solid answer straight away but i just want to begin that process because i want people as part of their discipleship to be doing that like take the word understand it apply it to yourself you're not going to get instant answer, maybe necessarily, but think on it. What does mm. it mean to um, to love people, to uh, you know, follow uh, Jesus' teaching and how we deal with conflict? If you've got a problem with someone, we go to them, speak to them. What does that look like? Because it just says speak to them, right? But like, yeah, <laughs> what would that look like practically? And just trying to get people to think through what that would what that would be for them. Mm. Yeah, so good, so helpful, Sam. Thanks so much. And yeah, like. You know, we talk about uh, life with Jesus here. That's kind of our, our, our church vision, life with Jesus, where we're learning to kind of belong and to live and to think mm-hmm. like Jesus together in, in church. And you said earlier that, like, what, one thing that's been helpful to you, um, uh, serving alongside, walking alongside uh, Iranian brothers and sisters, is the way in which they can kind of spot some of the gaps uh, in your Bible reading, um, mm-hmm. some of the, you know, the, your, your blind spots. Um, and have you seen that as well, like just in terms of your, your lifestyle as well? Because I think it's fair to say that for us Brits, uh, we, we've really been discipled in secularism. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're being discipled by kind of Netflix and, and YouTube and, and the ways of the world. And you talked earlier about kind of the way that in individualism has, uh, has, has run rampant in the church. And we're trying to push back against that with this vision of like, church as this family this diversity in unity could you just talk to us a bit about maybe some of the ways in which you've been, you've grown kind of in your own life uh, through work working and, and living alongside these guys yeah i think um there's a lot of intangible almost um things that are really important in church like we can get doctrine right um and still really be failing to live out doctrine mm. and that's that's a real big problem um and so i think some some of the intangible things i've seen have been about been around community and just dynamics of relationships um i think with individualism um the i think the fiec did something and they were talking about um, the fruits of the spirit right and um and actually the fruits of the spirit are relational it's not just how we relate to god but as how we relate to others and I think that's part of a secularism issue. It's a Christian secularism that you think, oh yeah, as long as I'm cool with God, 
you know, I'm, I'm a holy and righteous guy. I, you know, I'm being faithful to God. But actually, scriptures talk about how we relate to others is deeply important. And I think even just um, thinking through the cultural things uh, and dynamics in play with people from the Middle East, um, they're a lot more sensitive to, to that relational dynamics. If someone says something to me and how that will affect the whole community, I think has been a helpful pushback to me um, because there's a togetherness that's really important. Like it's not okay for someone to be um, not on board, um, to be a kind of outsider. I think it's easier for, for me as a British guy to say, oh, that guy's a bit funny, isn't he? He's a bit weird. Or that guy, you know, I don't really like him and to exclude people in our minds. Whereas um, someone from a more communal culture would be like, well, I might not be best friends with this dude, but we are community, right? So if he's not on board with something, that's a problem. You know, if he's got a problem, that is our problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's got an argument with someone that's unresolved, that is our problem. And that, mm-hmm. that's just the teaching of the scriptures, isn't it? You know, don't take the Lord's Supper if you've got serious beef with someone in the church mm-hmm. and you need to talk with them and sort that out. It's very easy as me as an individualistic person to kind of downplay that or to ignore that and say, yeah, but it's just between me and God, right? Okay, yeah, it wasn't too bad an argument. Now we'll sort it out, whatever. Mm. But actually, my friends would be like, they would they would feel it more keenly and know actually, a problem in the community with one person is 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 a community problem, and we need we need to deal with that. We need to respect those commands in scripture and and to understand that corporate communal identity. And I think it has been, if I boil it down, has been about seeing ourselves as an identity, as a church. We are a Jesus community. Do we identify with the group? Or do we just identify me and Jesus? We are we hold hands, walk along the beach, and it's great. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or is it me and people that Jesus has died for? You know, I might I'm, I might not be best mates with this other guy, but Jesus is, you know has poured out his precious blood for him. So I should, I better well, you know, respect him and love him and, and kind of walk with him and let him speak into my life because I need to identify in the same way that my other brothers from Farsi-speaking places find much easier to understand and grasp straight away. They identify with the community, with their family, their nation. They identify with the church quite quickly because their family probably disowned them. They know that they need the family in the church but do we as people from individualistic society recognize our need uh, and calling to identify with the people of god and and as that being quite an important aspect of our lives that deserves time and, and effort um and and uh and care yeah there's such a challenge Sam. something i think we really need to hear particularly as, as brits and I think we've got to be careful haven't we of that um that that dangerous dynamic of like the brits are the ones who serve and the iranians mm. are the ones who are served and uh, that's not church at all uh, we we both serve and are served uh, and, and are served and we've got you might we've just got so much to learn from these guys and it's such a gift uh, from the lord i was just thinking as you were talking like i was uh, i had an amazing chat with a sudanese brother of ours who was like in the in one of the church families and just chatting to him and he'd been in the asylum system for for years actually um almost just like he got lost in it really and um 
you know, he, he got his leave to remain. He's been with us uh, for, for for years and just a wonderful Christian guy. And I said, I said to him, like, what, what, what did Jesus teach you in that asylum system that I can I can learn from you? And he just responded with the word patience. He just said patience. And then he said, like, God always has time and his timing is perfect in our lives. And so challenged by that because I was like, man, like I'm impatient at the traffic lights, let alone like being in the asylum system for years and years. And it's like, oh, here's this guy that the Lord in a really intense way has taught him patience and he's recognized that. And like, that's such a gift, a gift, a gift to me. And that's just one example, one story of, of many in our church. And I'm sure you've got loads more to share as well. And look, Sam, we'll, we'll wrap this up. I mean, there's loads more we can talk about, but there's just so much glory uh, that you've said and uh, so much for us to, to chew on. Um, but perhaps there's some, some church leaders or church members who are listening to this. And recently you said it all started with one guy turning up a few years ago that is exactly the same same for us as well actually just started with one and one guy and built from there and perhaps one person turned up at at their church and they're just kind of wrestling through okay what what does that look like for us what 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 do you think are some of kind of the easy wins easy practical steps towards like inclusion and expressing diversity uh, that you might suggest yeah so i'm still learning in this but what i've found uh from learning from other people and, and trying to grow in it as well is just that um a warm welcome is not just something that's cool and good to do or oh yeah churches that grow they they do that um other cultures you need to understand how they're going to perceive things and um and at first you won't right like someone walks into my church they're from a different culture and background have no idea about their culture you can warmly welcome them and you can make mistakes and it'd be fine because they will see that you are trying to make a really good effort and they will value that. And that is the most important thing you can start with because the relationship starts there. They feel unwelcome when they've been battered and bruised by the asylum seeker system and, and all sorts of horrible hostels and stuff. A warm welcome is exactly what they need to hear. And if you don't feel welcome, they're going to go, they're going to leave because they've they've been through some tough stuff right so you, you can welcome them in a british way give them a, a warm handshake give them a smile you know give them eye contact whatever you want to do just be you but give them a warm welcome and i'm sure there might be bits in the conversation where you might get stuff wrong but i think that they will see that you're trying and as long as you're willing to learn and listen as part of that relationship it's only going to go well i think it's, it's going to be a positive going to be a positive thing so warm welcome you know in the way that you guys do it make them know that they're loved and they're known and they're seen and that you're going to try and um, help them to accommodate you you need to recognize that this is going to be a really strange experience for them they're not going to understand a lot of stuff and you need to be um, able to organize you know either for yourself or for other people to ensure that um they're helped to kind of engage with not just the language, but the cultural stuff. Um, and I say that they don't need to go on a course. It's just, I must be present, you know? Oh, uh, usually we have tea and coffee uh, after the service. Uh, would you like me to make you a drink? Oh, no, thank you. Are, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Just, yeah. it's just the basics, right? And then as people stick with you, you need to listen and learn from them about, um, what it means for them to be at church and, and kind of their cultural background, just as you do with any relationship, 
because we're all different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you find yourself, there's some pressure points and people are sticking, but you feel like you're not able to provide translation and stuff like that, I think that's the point where you can go out and you could say to, to local ministers that you know or wider network, and there's many uh, that you can get involved with um, that will help you and say, oh, yeah, I had a Sudanese guy, I had a, and, and this is what we did, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's help out there. But mm-hmm. in the immediate instance, you can do so much just with that warm welcome, with that uh, relational uh, posture, really, of, of humility, listening, loving people well, and then from there, having that same humility, not just to listen and learn from the people that come through your doors, but from other people, they might even be junior, they might be smaller churches, and, and willing to learn and grow um, to reach that people group. That, that's what I'd say for first steps. Um, yeah. yeah, and and be prepared to make mistakes and yeah. get things wrong, and it will be a struggle. That's okay, but just just keep at it, be consistent, because people will see that you're consistently trying. I think mm-hmm. that that really speaks a lot when when people do that. Absolutely, completely agree with that. Thanks so much for that reflection. I think, like you say, like just the simple things matter. Like we found, um, even just learning some some Farsi words, you know, salam and and uh, yeah. and uh, you know, just some greetings, uh, just says a lot. And we, you know, little things like getting Farsi Bibles or getting the uh, you know Farsi translation of the scriptures on on the screen. And certainly yeah. for like Anglican liturgy, like quite a bit of it's translated into into Farsi with the new city catechism you were talking about earlier that's been translated into to Farsi there's plenty of stuff out there um, so yeah just the simple things I think speak speak volumes and I just say as well like food I'm sure you agree with this like food is mm. and, and hospitality um, like Iranian food man it's so good uh, Luby Apollo and, and, and others like that um, and um, I think you know invitation to our homes but also inviting ourselves to, to theirs as well and you'll have yeah. come across Taraf. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just for anyone who's listening, like sometimes if you like invite an Iranian to, to your home, they might decline first time, push on, keep, keep asking. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I'm, I'm sure they'd be delighted to, 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 to come. Uh, and as I say, invite yourself to theirs as well, but uh, we're, we're appropriate. But um, what a great thought about welcome. And Sam, just so many wonderful things that you've shared there really really helpful and i think what's great is that you know, this is not just one church in the country wrestling with this um making mm. mistakes about this trying to uh you know do this there's, there's plenty plenty of us and we're all seeking to learn together it's good just to be connected isn't it and to share yeah. wisdom share mistakes share learnings um as we head towards that that new creation where every tribe tongue nation and language will worship before the throne of God mm. together and I can't wait to be there with Brits and Iranians Sudanese Americans Australians Indians Malaysians the list goes on I can't wait for that mm. amen Sam thanks so much for for all you've shared today really appreciate you being with us thanks for having me fantastic and thanks so much for listening to this uh, this episode of of uh, dedicate conversations I uh, hope it's been helpful and giving you food for thought uh, and do pray pray for our churches and uh, uh, old and bethel church and, and tcc in manchester and other churches who are uh, are working uh, with and alongside iranians do pray for us uh, and indeed do tune in for another of these conversations uh, in the near future thanks very much